you ever been in the wilderness? I don't mean a place far from civilization. I mean like the spiritual wilderness. Like a place of discouragement, a place of giving up, of hopelessness, a place where you can't see the future, a place where you question if anything you're doing makes a difference. Have you ever been in the wilderness? This morning we're continuing our sermon series on the prophet Elijah, the greatest of God's prophets. You will remember that Ahab has become the king of Israel. And Ahab married a foreign princess named Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel together began to turn Israel away from the worship of the Lord toward false gods. And a lot of the story of Elijah is about Elijah standing up for the worship of the true God against the false gods. There's lots of different false gods in our world today. The God of materialism, the God of the self, the God of fame, the God of power, the God of progress. These are all false gods that we've talked about the last several weeks. And Elijah stands up for the worship of the true God and he challenges the prophets of Baal, the false god, to a big showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And hundreds of people are present. And then Elijah has maybe the greatest, or certainly up there, one of the greatest triumphs that any servant of God has ever had in history. When God sends down fire and burns up the offering and the rain then comes that has been held from Israel for three years. And Elijah is at the very top of professional and personal success. But, and so quickly things change. In our story this morning, we're going to see Elijah at the very lowest point he's ever been. He's in the wilderness physically, but he's also in the wilderness spiritually. And I love this story. I think it is one of the most psychologically perceptive and powerful stories in all the scripture. I think it speaks exactly to where so many of us are today, and there's a lot of wisdom here if we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So here we are, 1 Kings chapter 19. This is immediately following Elijah's huge triumph on Mount Carmel. Ahab, the king, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the false prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me. And more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She swears an oath and says, your time is coming. And then he was afraid. He got up and fled before his life and he came to Beersheba, which is as far away from where he had been as you can get, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. I I imagine sometimes you, you hear these sad stories of there's somebody that's been missing in the wilderness and the rescuers will go out and they'll find his car at the trailhead with the cell phone and the keys in it and no trace of the person found and the implication is this person left life and went off to die into the wilderness. This is essentially what Elijah is doing. He leaves his servant, his baggage and everything and keeps going further on. Verse four, but he he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree and he asked that he might die. It is enough Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the broom tree and fell asleep. And suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. Otherwise, this journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's another name for Mount Sinai. So it's a 
holy place. And at that place he came to a cave. And he spent the night there. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he answered, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. And now they're seeking my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. In the old-fashioned King James translation, there's that famous phrase, a still small voice. The sound of sheer silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat of Abel, Mahola, as prophet in your place. And whoever escapes from the sword of Haziel, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elijah shall kill. And yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of God. Would you pray? Lord, you promised to refresh tired souls. You promised that all who are weary and heavy laden to come to you and you'll give you rest. Lord, use our time this morning to give us soul rest, to refresh us for the work that you'll have us to do. Amen. When God asks questions, you can rest assured that the question is not about the question, and it's not for God, it's for the hearer. So when God says to Elijah, this lovely, simple question, what are you doing here, Elijah? The question is not that God is actually wondering how Elijah came there, but he wants to know how Elijah came there. You follow me? In other words, it's sort of like saying, Elijah, how did you end up here? What happened to you, Elijah? Remember, Elijah is this incredibly courageous servant of God who stands up before the king, fearless, makes a prophecy in the king's face, and then if his prophecy is fulfilled and he's borne out, it's shown that he's the true servant of God. It's, he's an incredible figure. And yet here we have him in the wilderness of despair, sending away his servant, relinquishing his credentials, so to speak, asking that God would just take his life. And to God's question, how, how did you end up here, Elijah? My wife and I w- recently went to see the movie The Vow. Have you heard of this movie? For a long part of the movie, I hated it, I have to be honest with you. But at the end, I came around, and I kind of like it. But in the middle of it, I was hating it. And the way the movie works is that there's a scene, and then you have the voiceover that says, 48 hours earlier type thing. You know what I'm talking about? So there's the scene, and then they kind of rewind and work through the rest of the movie to get you back to where the scene that began the movie took place. That's what I want to do this morning to this story of Elijah. I want us to work backwards and see the answer to God's question towards him. What are you doing here, Elijah? How would you end up here? And we'll see three 
patterns of Elijah's life that led him to where he is. And the reason these are so important is because I find them all the time in my life, and I suspect they're in your life as well. And they all come from Elijah's answer to God. Now, I don't think Elijah was aware of the information he was giving God in the, his answer, but a lot, a lot is let out. Elijah tells us a lot about himself. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? How did you end up in this place? And Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord. This is 1 Kings 19.10. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. I want to start there. I wonder if the reason you and I often find ourselves or at times find ourselves in the wilderness of despair, discouragement, of wanting to quit is because we can say that same phrase. I've been very zealous for the Lord. You know what that says to me? That says to me that Elijah has been working hard. He's been getting up early. He's been staying up late. He's been taking one extra meeting. He's been spending the time to answer every email and return every phone call. He's been putting the time in before the meeting to make sure he's prepared. Elijah has been a hard worker. And if there's one thing that you and I know about in our culture, it's about hard work. All the statistics say that the American people are, are, according to number of hours spent in the workplace, the hardest working people in the world. We take less vacation, work more overtime, come in earlier, leave later than people in other parts of the developed world. And yet so many of us are people who find ourselves flat and down and with low energy. I was having lunch with a guy a couple weeks ago, and he was saying that that's just kind of how he felt. He was wondering if he made any difference in his job. He, he didn't really feel like getting up in the morning. And I said, when's the last time you had a day off? And he said, yeah, you know, I, I think I could use that. For me, when I find myself weary in my soul, now I don't mean like tired. When you're tired, just go to bed early, right? That's obvious. I'm talking about tired in your soul. I'm talking about when you're tired, even when you've had a lot of sleep. You know that feeling? When I find myself weary in my soul, the first thing I check on my dashboard, so to speak, is when the last time I had a day off or not. It is not a coincidence that one of the Ten Commandments is to take a Sabbath day every week. And I just wonder if Elijah, you know, Elijah has been involved in really important work. He's not wasting his time. He's been working on behalf of God. He's been going to the widow of Zarephath and, and, and sustaining her and, her and her little son. He's been standing up before Ahab on Mount Carmel and proclaiming to all of Israel what the true Lord is like. He's been busy. But he makes the mistake of forgetting to care for his soul. And I just wonder this morning, if you're in a place that's like the wilderness, when's the last time that you actually rested? When's the last time you actually had a Sabbath day? I don't think it's possible to go through this life and avoid these wildernesses of discouragement unless you are taking time for silence, for stillness, just to be. Now, in our culture, a hundred years ago, when we talked about the Sabbath, we meant it meant you had to be just be in church all day and, and pray all day long. And you couldn't go to the you couldn't go to the movies, you couldn't go to the pool, you couldn't ride your bike, you couldn't do anything fun. I don't th- I think that's a false understanding of what the Sabbath truly is. In my understanding, and this is something we'll talk about at another point, I think the Sabbath is just being still, just pushing back all the pressures on you and doing the things that fire you up, that feed you. For some people, the Sabbath, a, a good Sabbath day might be to spend time reading a novel or making a home-cooked meal, or going for a long run at the lake, or just turning off all digital media and sitting on your front porch. I've been very zealous for the Lord, says Elijah. And I think that's part of the answer of how he came to where he was. Can I just encourage you to build into your life one out of every seven days a day of rest, a day off? Now, I am aware that a lot of you have the sort of jobs where people want you to be available all the time. 
and you have to have your, your, your smartphone buzzing with emails and texts. But I'd suggest that if you really want to make a difference in your place of work and in your family and in our community, you'll make more difference the more time you have off on a regular basis. And I think your coworkers and your bosses will begin to trust you if they see that you actually work harder and reply to everything during the other six days if you take one day off. It's a huge, it's a huge step of faith, which we'll come to in a little bit, to step back from the world and say, God's in charge, I'm not. But I'd encourage you to do it. And I think, in fact, God will use that the way that God uses a fallow field, which the farmer leaves unplanted for a season so that it brings a greater harvest the next year. The first thing that I see Elijah doing here to answer God's question, how did you end up here, Elijah, is Elijah hasn't been resting. He's been pushing too hard. But note, he's been pushing hard for good things. He hasn't been wasting his time. He's been doing God's work. Which the message is, it doesn't matter what it is that you're doing, there is still a time in every week that you and I need to step back, retreat, and have a Sabbath day, a day of rest. For me personally, because Sunday is obviously a work day, Monday is my Sabbath day, and I can, I can tell you, I don't notice a difference necessarily on a Tuesday morning if I've kept a true Sabbath day where I've turned off my phone and just spent time with my wife and son. But I notice a, time, I notice a difference over time, and I'd suggest the same to you. These things are small things over time, and I imagine that it wasn't that Elijah missed one Sabbath day. It's probably he's missed a bunch, and it's built up. So that's the first thing. But here's the second thing. I love, I love Elijah. He's one of my favorite characters in the scriptures. He's so honest. What are you doing here, Elijah, God says. This is 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, throw down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left. Don't you love that? I alone am left. I wonder if Elijah is where he is because Elijah has begun to believe in the false God of indispensability. I wonder if Elijah is where he is because Elijah has begun to believe that he is indispensable to God's plan. In fact, you might say that one of Elijah's problems here is that he has too high opinion of his own contributions. One of the things that's, I think, so deadly to each of us is to begin to think that we are crucial for the outworking of God's plan in the world and that if we don't do something, it won't happen. And you can see the incredible pressure, particularly for somebody like Elijah. I mean, Elijah is an important person at this time in history, as we'll see. But I'm the only one left, Lord. In other words, God, it's all up to me. I'm telling you, whenever I find myself believing in that lie, it always brings destructive consequences in my life. It always leads me into the wilderness of discouragement and despair. Because when it's all up to you, it's all up to you. That means you have to work even harder. That means if you, if you make one mistake, the whole thing's going to unravel. Have you ever been in that place? Are you there this morning? Do you think that it's all up to you in your field or in your family? If you don't do this, your family's going to come apart. If you don't do that, your career is going to come apart. Again, these are not bad things. We're not talking about doing evil things. We're talking about good things, but that we make the most important thing and make ourselves at the center. It's easy sometimes to think that the sermon is an important part of the church's life until you've actually ever preached and then you realize people never really hear what you say anyway. I have this experience all the time. People will come up to me and repeat to me what they say I said. I'm thinking, I never said that, you know. 
you know, you know, you said that you want uh, all the families in the church to make you and your family homemade ice cream and drop it off every Sunday afternoon. And I'll say, I, I never said that. I don't, know, I don't know where you're getting that. They say all kinds of crazy stuff. If you wanted to do that, that would be fine in that case. But, and you begin to realize, you know, God, you might use you, but it's not really about you. It's about what the Spirit is doing anyway. I wonder if that's true in your life. You may be very important in your place of work and in your family, you are important. All of us are important in our families. But when we make ourselves the indispensable ally of God, I think we begin to be pretty far off. Do you consider yourself indispensable this morning? In, I've referenced this before, but I, lo- I love this phrase. In Westminster Abbey, on the one of the walls, there's a white marble plaque to John and Charles Wesley who started the Methodist Church uh, in England. And you've heard me tell this story before. And on the plaque, there's this great phrase, God buries his workmen but carries on his work. Isn't that nice? Don't you love that? John and Charles Wesley were very important people in the kingdom of God, but they died. And God continued on the work. And one day, sooner or later, our time on earth will come to an end too. And, but God's work will go on. You and I are not essential to make everything work out, praise God. Because if it were up to you and I, it'd be a scary world to live in. And then we would be overcome with stress and burden and just pressure. And that's not the case. Elijah says, I've been very zealous, Lord. I work all the time. Well, Elijah, you need to take some time off. Elijah says, Lord, I'm the only one left. And God has an answer to that. We'll see in a second. You and I are not the only ones in the world. There's people all around the world working on behalf of the Lord. And then finally, and I want to spend a little bit of time on this, perhaps most importantly, Elijah doesn't understand how what he thought should be the plan isn't happening. Elijah has this incredible moment of triumph. He stands up on Mount Carmel and faces off against the prophets of Baal and King Ahab. But what's the result? Sure, The fire comes down on the mountain. The prophets of Baal are kicked out and put to death. But Ahab is still the king. And Jezebel still wants to kill Elijah. Elijah has to be thinking, God, what don't you understand about this plan? How hard is this to work it out? One of the most important and the third and final reason that Elijah ends up in the wilderness of despair and discouragement is because things aren't working out according to his plan. I meet people all the time who are, um, have a lot of difficult issues with the Lord. They have a lot of anger or, or bitterness. And often it's because that life didn't work out according to their plan. And they thought their plan should be God's plan. They thought it should be the spectacular, so to speak, and it doesn't seem to be like that. Is that you this morning? Do you find yourself in that place? I find myself in that place a lot. God, I wanted it to work out this way, and it didn't. Something's wrong. And the problem is you. That's what Elijah seems to be saying here. Lord, they're throwing down, they've forsaken your covenant, verse 14. They're throwing down your altars. They're killing your prophets. I alone, I'm I'm alone and left. And they're trying to kill me. How hard is it? Fix the problem, is what Elijah seems to be saying. Have you been in the wilderness before? Are you in the wilderness this morning? Are you just at a place of discouragement and despair wanting to give up, wondering that you don't make any difference at all, feeling like that it's all about you but nothing good is happening anyway. 
That's where Elijah found himself in the cave when God's question came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the answer to Elijah's discouragement and despair and hopelessness had to do with the storm and the fire and the earthquake. I'm going to read this again to you. This is one of the most famous passages in all the scriptures and one of the most powerful. Verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake a fire But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. For Elijah, God's actions should always be about the spectacular. In Elijah's mind, the plan is about the spectacular, the incredible, the larger than life. And here we have this beautiful example of how God was not in the mighty wind, or the earthquake, or the fire, He wasn't in the spectacular, he was in the very small, the very ordinary, the quiet. And I think Elijah learns here a powerful lesson about what the true Lord is like. Even in the scriptures, the spectacular is rare. And God seems to reserve it for when we actually need it. But most of the stories of the scriptures and the stories of godly people in your lives, in my life that I've known, are about God working through the ordinary the everyday. We read it this morning in the second song. God takes the dust and makes Adam out of it. You and I are just ordinary, just chemicals. And look what God has made. Sure, sometimes God brings the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. And there's the spectacular. But then, it's usually just about the ordinary. It's about the ordinary baby born in Bethlehem. And the ordinary man who said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And the one who died in an ordinary, unspectacular way on the cross. And is that same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Elijah, that came to us as the baby at Bethlehem, who was raised in the power of the Spirit, it's that same God that's calling to you and me today in ordinary ways. Just to give us a reminder, it's not all about you. It doesn't all depend on you. Trust me, because things are going somewhere. I have been in the wilderness before, the actual physical wilderness, not just the spiritual wilderness. I was fortunate with my family to travel several years ago out west. And we started in Utah and saw some of the great national parks there, and we headed south into Arizona. And the road keeps going up and up and up and up. And what had been drown, uh, bro, uh, dry and brown becomes forested with these huge and beautiful ponderosa pines. And we stopped our car and closed the door. And we kept walking to the edge of the trees. And then we stood there. Now, we are in a very inarticulate culture. We say things like, I was left breathless or I was stunned or I was in awe all the time in inappropriate ways. But every now in life, we see things that truly are breathtaking and leave you in awe. And the Grand Canyon is like that. And I remember the first time I saw the Grand Canyon standing there in the North Rim. I couldn't speak. It would take my breath away looking at it. If you've ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
But what's so spectacular about the Grand Canyon to me is not just the size and scope of it, which of course is spectacular, but what we know about how it was made. The Grand Canyon was made one drop of water at a time in a very ordinary and unspectacular way. But each drop was going somewhere. God says to Elijah, Elijah, it's not all about you. There are 7,000 other people, ordinary people in Israel, who haven't bowed to Baal. And in fact, Elijah, I want you to go anoint this guy over king of another country, and this guy is king over Israel, and then pick somebody to be your successor. Elijah, I'm at work. I'm going somewhere. Things are happening. Elijah, in fact, is incredibly important in the plan of God but in a different way than he thinks. If there wasn't Elijah, there wouldn't have been the faith that was passed on that ultimately came to fruition of Jesus in Nazareth. All around us, God is working like small drops of water that make something incredible and beautiful. And I'd just like for you today to have rest, to be still, to trust. That's not all about you. That means... One day out of every seven, you can step back and retreat from the world, and the world is still going to go on. To trust that God doesn't need you to make it all work out, but that God is, in fact, using you as part of his plan. And trust that one day, the last day, when all things come together, you'll be able to see the incredible work that God has made using ordinary things like drops of water or people like you and me at a church in East Dallas. Would you pray? Lord, you ask for us to come to you who are weary and heavy laden. This morning, Lord, I pray for those who are here among us who are carrying burdens, burdens of sickness, burdens of stress, burdens in their souls. Lord, take our burdens this morning and replace them with an, an, a light and easy load. Take away our stress, Lord, that makes it feel like that we have to be the ones that hold up the world and replace it with eagerness to serve you and with trust that you, in fact, are in control and that you're working and that history is going somewhere. And Lord, help us to see the spectacular when it happens, but also to look for the sound of still, sheer silence, the still small voices with which you're speaking to us all around us. We ask this in your name. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.